Episode 26 of the Thursday Night Trainhorn, uh, I mean Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan, and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Uh, gentlemen, your Georgia State Panthers football team coming off of a 52-33 to victory over the Trojans of Troy at Georgia State Stadium last weekend, uh, moving to 4-0 and at home for the first time ever, moving to 3-1 and in the Sunbelt Conference, and also becoming bowl eligible in the month of October for the first time in program history. A lot of firsts. What are we thinking, gentlemen? Season is fun. Why can't we do this all the time? I concur. And that's this week's episode of the Thursday Night <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> it, you know, um, I had a sneaky suspicion that Georgia State was going to beat Troy a couple weeks ago. Um, obviously, you don't want to overlook an opponent, um, but... You know, Georgia State had been running the ball kind of well, and, you know, it just seemed like Troy had started to struggle, and people were putting them on that Sunbelt pedestal because, you know, they had been there, done that before a little bit. So I feel good about, you know, internally calling my shot on this one, um, and we can get into it later, but there's just not enough we can say about how this offense is rolling right now. You know, whenever you have an opportunity to face a team that's top 20 um, in a specific defensive category and then you just make them look like a bunch of traffic cones, you know, it's it's really special to see. You know, these running backs that Georgia State have, they're just firing on all cylinders right now. So, yeah, I mean, my thought going into this two-game homestand was you're four and two you've got two home games against teams that aren't at all pushovers but it's games that you can win and if you get there you're gonna lock up bowl eligibility before the month of november clinch a winning record at home for the season and it just felt like a real opportunity uh it wouldn't have sunk the season to have either of these games drop because you still put yourself in a good position but it just felt like a real chance to show intent and that's what happened i mean in so many different ways, this game was a game of intent and in showing what Georgia State football was about this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, they kind of just grabbed Troy and said, all right, I'm just going to run this ball right here. And, you know, they did exactly what Georgia State wanted to do. You know, we talk about Dan kind of in his numbers and his potential as a you know, Sunbelt Player of the Year candidate. And, you know, if you look at the passing numbers, he only had 189 yards, but at no point in that game did it look like Dan was playing poorly, you know? At no point did it look like the offense was capable of being stopped. And that's that's exactly what you want to see out of this Georgia State team. And, you know, you're right. They truthfully did grab it and just said, hey, here we are. We're going to do this. And they did it extremely well. To your point, uh, 25 pass attempts for that 189 yards. Still two touchdowns in... Uh, one long touchdown pass, which was one of the wackiest plays I've seen live. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shout but, out Aubrey Payne. But that's 25 pass attempts to 57 rushes. I mean, that's in a, a, a split. I don't think five years ago you could have told me the straight face that Georgia State was going to do. I mean, no. I was used to the opposite. There were so many games under the Trent Miles era where it was, you know, 40 plus passes, maybe. 20 rushes and not for a lot of yards. And so seeing the reverse of that in not that long a time is a testament to what coach Elliott said day one, he wanted to do. And that was run the ball. They certainly ran the ball. And Trey Barnett, 
242 yeah. yards last game. He now holds the Georgia State uh, school record for yards in a career, I believe. It, so this is the whole list of what he did Saturday. The single game rushing record for yardage, 242. The single season rushing record for yardage. The career record for rushing yardage and the career record for rushing touchdowns. So just a casual Saturday. I mean, you know, just a Saturday <laughs> with the boys. That's all it was. And I, to the point that you were starting to say, it just feels like you could look at Troy's numbers going into this game and, and they were rightfully very impressive. And I, while they had struggled in pass defense and there was a thought that, you know, part of why they were so good against the run is teams were passing it a lot. You couldn't deny that those rush numbers on their own merits stood up as really good. But Georgia State did what they did. And I think the, the greater point is nothing to do with Troy. The greater point has to do with Georgia State. At some point, you got to start saying that they're kind of defense proof as long as they stay out of their own way. That they're going to do what they're going to do. They're going to put up yardage. They're going to put up points. And it doesn't really matter how good you do what you do. Yeah, no. I mean, if you look at Troy's offense, Troy's offense had a pretty Troy-esque game. I mean, you know, 33 points and Caleb Barker had a very strong case for Sunbelt Player of the Week. He went 34 of 45 with 421 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, that's also a pretty good day at the office, you know. You know but, but for the guy rushing for over 240 yards. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, Um but I think you're right. And we are getting to the point where whether it's running the ball, whether it's passing the ball, as you saw um, against Army, uh, this Georgia State offense is probably going to be moving the ball pretty effectively if they can keep out of their own way. And that's, you know, really nice to see, you know. And I mean, we can kind of talk about the defense from Saturday a little bit. I mean, giving up 33 points isn't necessarily great but i think the defense truthfully has turned it around um from where they were in the beginning of the year i think while the final score has indicated that they've given up some points they definitely have put in much better efforts at getting after the quarterback and affecting plays i mean they had four sacks on saturday you know it definitely seemed like barker didn't have just all day to throw which was nice to see yeah you shout out the four sacks uh that is at least by I want to say the Furman game, they had three top of my head. Yes, uh, it's it's the season high. And now they're third in the Sun Belt and sacks as a team, which is a good number. Three is good. Two or one would be better. But getting to this quarterback specifically was really going to be important because of how much they were going to drop back and pass. And they still, Troy, had a lot of success. Um, there were... Six plays for them over 20 yards. Three of those were over 50 yards. Chunk plays are still an issue for this defense. But on one of those drives with the chunk plays, D.K. Billingsley pops off a 53-yard run, gets it to the Georgia State 29, and then the drive stalls out, and Troy ends up turning it over on down. So if you can keep him out of the end zone, which they didn't do on all the big plays, but if you can keep him out of the end zone a couple of times – especially if they're on plus side and they're, they're right on the edge and they could possibly, you know, cut and dent the scoreboard. If you just stop those drives from being scores, that gives the offense, this offense that's rolling right now, the chance that they need to win the game. Yeah. And that's what it was on Saturday. The defense gave up 19 points in the fourth quarter. Troy scored 
three consecutive possessions. But the offense did the same thing, and so it didn't matter. And you're up 35-14 when Troy's offense really started rolling anyway, so you gave yourself a good chance. And, and that's not just the offense put up 35. Also, the defense held Troy to 14 to that point. It, it's both. It was, you know, synergistically for the first half and a quarter or so, half and a half of a quarter, he says very... Un- the first three quarters? Well, it was, it was like the first half and then like the first half of the third quarter is what I'm trying okay. to say. And that's why you you jump up to a 35-14 lead. And from that point, it was possible for Troy to come back, especially with how good their offense started by that point. But it was going to be a tough ask because of the hole they were in. And the, the way that you stop that from happening is exactly how it played out, just Georgia State continuing to match them, score every possession they score. And a nice exclamation point at the end on the fourth and one run for 41 yards and the touchdown for Barnett. That's putting the game away. And Coach Elliott has talked about beating the teams that are, you know, the Sun Belt, uh, you know, standard bearers, you want to say, and the teams that have had your number. And it feels like they're getting into that this year a lot more because, you know, 2017, you go to a bowl game, but Troy still blew you out that year. You didn't get the chance to play Arkansas State, but they had beaten you every time until this year's matchup in 2019. And then the last one that looms really large is App, but it just felt like another game where Georgia State got to exercise a little bit of their demons against a team that had, by and large, had their number. And you want to see that trend continuing. I mean, definitely. We have a, We can hit on it in a future a future conversation that we have, but it is still nice that Georgia state in a way controls their own destiny. Yes. They have to win out to do it, but that's still controlling, right? You know, you go play four great football games and you know, see what happens. There's plenty of time left. Got to keep the foot on the gas, get the killer instinct and just score. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, run it up. I, I guess the last thing I would say on football is, it was much later in the season. It was middle of November, the first year when Coach Elliott was here that they clinched below eligibility, and they lost the last two games they played. Didn't look great in either, especially not in the final game against Idaho. So I don't know if the bye week necessarily makes a difference, good or bad, but the ULM game really, it's it's going to be a chance for Georgia State to say it's not going to be like last time where kind of slumped down after getting that bowl eligibility and every intention from what the coaches and the players have said after clinching bowl eligibility is we're not done. And that's what you'd expect to hear. It did feel a little bit different than just, you know, the coach speak. They felt like some juice behind it, but the next game you have is ULM and you have a chance to go prove that. You got to go one and zero every week. Can't look past anybody. So moving on to basketball, uh, today as of recording this podcast was the Men's Basketball Media Day and Brady and I had the chance to go check out a little bit of practice and talk with some players and Coach Rob Lanier. It was an interesting day. Um, I will say full disclosure, it's the first portion of practice I will have seen. So I can't really fairly compare it to the previous regime under Coach Hunter, but the one thing that stood out was just the general energy in the room when they were practicing. 
everyone was talking uh, communication from the coaches to the players and the players in their defensive sets, talking to each other, offensive players talking to each other. And I assume to a large degree, that's just how college basketball practices go, but it did feel like a real hallmark of the team. It just felt like there was a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm and when you're going through a coaching regime, it's not a bad thing to see. Uh, you want to see some juice from the team. So I will say my first impression uh, walking into the sports arena and watching practice, the team looks a whole lot bigger than they did last year. And I know uh, Coach Lunar mentioned that in his introductory press conference that he was going to go out and recruit big guys. And I, I don't know what the exact quote was, but it was something along the lines of we want to be able to look the big boys in the eye. There's some big boys on this team. Like there, we have tall dudes, big dudes, and it's not just one or two like, you know, in uh, Ron Hunter's system where you'd have like the one real tall, lanky guy. And by real tall, I mean like six, 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 seven. There's there's some big dudes on this team. And and the whole team in general just looks in good shape and looks mm-hmm. in improved. It's like the guards also look bigger in a good way. Um, it looks like conditioning was good. It looks like that part of the, the offseason went well as well. So I saw that uh, Damon, obviously there was an interview with Damon and Coach Lanier, but did you guys get an opportunity to talk to any of the other players? We did talk to Kane, uh, but I will let Brady take more of that. Yeah, we talked to Coach Lanier. We, then we, we talked to Kane Williams and Damon Wilson as well. Um, I asked both of them about you know what they – their thoughts were when they learned that it was going from the zone to the man defense. And Kane was like, yeah, I kind of want to do something new after a while. The zone was getting old, but you know, maybe this year after doing the man, I'm going to want to go back to the zone. It was a funny little exchange. And there's actually clips of those uh, interviews up on our Twitter and Facebook pages. You should be able to find those still at this uh, point when the podcast goes live. If not, just scroll down. They're there. It's four different videos. Yeah. It felt like, Again, again, the same thing with football players and the coaches saying, you know, we're not done. You kind of expect the players and the coaches to be like, there's buy-in and everyone is ready for this new system. But that was what was said and it felt believable. It felt like that Damon and Kane were leading the team in that regard and leading the team in general. And it felt like, we won't know until game is played. You know, they won't know until they match up against other teams, how they match up. And they won't especially know until conference play, how they match up with the conference teams, which is really what matters. But it seems like it's a different team and that's not a bad thing. And it seems like it's a team that hasn't forgotten the successes they've had the last two years. They're not ready to, you know, rebuild they're not ready to go through so-so years like they want success and it honestly is the best case scenario for a coaching transition when you are also going through a personnel transition which seems weird like you wouldn't want everything to blow up at once but it's a new system so there'd be some feeling out anyway so you might as well get it all done with it once you might as well have a chance for the staff to come in with a clean slate while other players are getting their first real opportunities of playing time. And I just would also want to go ahead and shout out. um, I don't know in what form they play, but I do feel like both of the big freshmen, Joe Jones and Jalen Thomas are going to 
play and play often. I just, I, one, their coach line years recruits and two in the very limited time we saw, they looked polished for, I don't say polish in the limited time we saw them play. You definitely saw why they got recruited here. Uh, and I think that whether they start, whether they don't, Coach Lanier is going to get them their experience early on because they look at least ready to be tested by Division One basketball. Hey, that's all you can ask for this early in the season. And then just finishing, emptying the notebook, as it were. Uh, Corey Allen looks like a good natural shooter, as advertised. Uh, smooth stroke. Um, we'll see, again, in live action what he looks like after having the year off sitting as a transfer. Um, and the other guy... Looked good shooting three was Cavante Ivory, who's going to be a sophomore. Uh, he didn't really have much playing time in his freshman year, and he didn't look super comfortable when he did play, but he looked fairly comfortable today in practice, and I don't know what his where he's going to fit in the rotation, but if he can take a step up this year and contribute, that'd be a big deal. 6'6", six, six, shoot from the perimeter, uh, a real good option for Ghost Near to have. So moving on into our listener questions for the week, our first one is Mike from Marietta wants to know what basketball game we're looking forward to the most this year. And I think probably the obvious answer is Duke, just because anytime you get a chance to play Duke at Cameron Indoor Stadium and show, quote unquote, show the world who you are, that's a great opportunity. And that's definitely a game that Georgia State wants to go out and make a statement if you will the obvious answer is you know playing prayer view and exercising the demons from that horrible loss a couple of seasons back Ugh. uh that, that's at least my obvious answer um i don't, know, I don't know i don't know if i'm excited for that game as much as i am excited for the duke game maybe there is an but. implied non-conference just because not getting too ahead of your skis but i will say that the game that i would have circled is conference opener at home against ut arlington because it'd be an easy – it wouldn't be unfair to say that UT Arlington is a favorite to do well in the conference. And right off the bat in conference play, you get them in your house. You get a chance to start off conference play by saying, this team, nah. SMU also could be a very good game uh, in Dallas on December 23rd. You know, I kind of like the way that uh, Brady was going. Um picking a Sunbelt team. Um, I feel like it would be easy to say, you know, oh, let's go, you know, let's, I'm excited to see Georgetown. But honestly, I'm just excited to see how Georgia State kind of picks up where they left off last year, especially against the team like Texas State. You know, obviously we've talked about the turnover and we've talked about the coaching change and the scheme change, you know, and I feel like the Sunbelt's in a weird place right now. Um I think gun to our heads, we don't really have an answer of who's the definitive favorite to come out of the conference. Um, so at that point, you know, I think that December 21st matchup right after that UT Arlington game is, which is Texas state, a team that Georgia state was battling with last year. Uh, and I mean, you know, it seemed like there was some bad blood developing there. So why not, you know, go show the rest of the conference what you're made of. Right off the bat. So we also got a few questions asking about some combination of bowl games or picking results of games. So we're just going to kind of roll both of those into one thing. We're going to talk about how the bowl selection process works and 
general thoughts on bowls? I'll, I'll take up the role as Bullmeister. Um, Bullmeister. I'll, I'll roll through this. So the Sunbelt has five bowls to which they're directly affiliated, tied into. It's where the teams are going to go. It gets a little bit hairy if there's more than five eligible teams, but usually they find a way to get everyone to get there. Chances are a probability that Georgia State will be in one of these five, though. It is the New Orleans Bowl where the champion of the Sun Belt goes versus a West team. And that is on December 21st in New Orleans, as the bowl name suggests. Uh, the, after the New Orleans Bowl, it kind of is just where a free-for-all for the other bowl tie-ins to pick who they want. Um, there's no real pecking order after the New Orleans Bowl. And so among the rest of the bowl-eligible teams, the bowls choosing Sunbelt teams are the Camellia Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama, which is also on December 21st, the Cura Bowl in Orlando, Florida, which is also on December 21st, and finally, there's some deviation in the date. The Arizona Bowl in Tucson, Arizona, on New Year's Eve, December 31st, and then the final non-college football playoff final bowl game is the Mobile Alabama Bowl in you guessed it Mobile Alabama wow I'm shocked did not see that one coming and just let me circle back around the Mobile and Montgomery Bowls are both against MAC teams the curable matchup is against the American Athletic Conference and the Arizona Bowl like the New Orleans Bowl is against the Mountain West so one of the questions specifically was asking about when we know what bowl Georgia State will be going to. Uh, the selection day is Sunday, December 8th. So that is when it's officially announced. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there theoretically is a situation where we might have an idea prior to that, right? Right. So it wouldn't happen as long as Georgia State has any chance of winning their conference championship because, as mentioned before, it's where the champion goes so the new orleans bull would always want team available and every team would want themselves to be available for that one so they wouldn't accept a bull but as far as i know once that's gone if a bull extends the invitation and the team accepts it i don't think there's any reason the bull committee can't announce the teams and so stuff has leaked out or, or has been put out by the official bull in advance of that selection day but the chances are it's not until that day that Georgia State knows for sure. Um, but there is still the off chance they know before that, as mentioned. And I guess I would just open it up, maybe not five to one rankings of them, but just in general, where would you want to see Georgia State play? I don't know about you guys, but the five spot is definitely going to the Arizona Bowl. Yeah, that just sounds inconvenient for... Inconvenient is a word, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's it's far, and you know, you want your bowl matchups to be both compelling games, and you at least want the fans to at least have an opportunity to go to the games. Whereas, I don't know that that's possible if they send Georgia State to Arizona. I mean, I'm still going to try. If for some reason Georgia State ends up going to the Arizona Bowl, I'm going to make an effort to go and cover it. But that's going to be an expensive plane ticket versus if it were the Camellia Bowl or the Cure Bowl or literally any other bowl, it's oh. a day of driving, and then you come back. Right. Playing against a Mountain West team, I mean, if you're going to play a bowl game, you're getting the extra practice. 
not a bad conference to get a shot at. Um, that's pretty much all I can say. It, it's a big journey for the team, let alone fans. And so I think the the risk here is that that matchup might end up happening. That might be what happens because Georgia State does have a great, great history of fans turning out fans turning out to bowls specifically. And so if the other bowls feel they can get better ticket numbers from other programs in the Sun Belt and they pass over Georgia State, that's that's how that one plays out. And I mean, if anything, I would just say let that serve as a wake up call. And it doesn't happen if you're a team who's you know, does show out every week. I will say that to your earlier point about the fan support not being fantastic, uh, Georgia State did go to the Cure Bowl twice, which up until this year has been played in Camping World Stadium, which seats, what, 60,000 people? And I want to say there was a decent crowd in 2017. I'm not any record-breaking numbers or anything, but there was a pretty good contingent of fans there that I feel like would not be completely empty stadium in a place like Mobile or Montgomery. I am just spelling out the reality of the situation. If that's how it lines up, that would be the reason why it would be that way. It wouldn't right. be like Georgia state got off for Arizona and it's like, Hmm, West coast vacay sounds nice. Uh, the, the way that that happens. And I think the reason why you're seeing more projections of the Arizona bowl is because people who do this, who prognosticate about bowls are, thinking that that might be the reason that that might be how it plays out. So I, that's just prepping for reality. That doesn't mean that's ha- definitely how it's going to happen. It would be nice to go back to Orlando for a third time, but I kind of want to see what some of these other bowls are about. I think uh, the Cure Bowl is definitely arguably one of the better Sunbelt bowls, just as far as the payout for it. And there's a lot more to do in Orlando than there is in Mobile or Montgomery or... Well, okay, not New Orleans. New Orleans is like the ultimate destination for Sunbelt things, apparently, because the tournament's been there for 8,000 years. Yeah, New Orleans is number one, not only just because it, it's a good bowl and it's against the Mountain West team without having to go all the way across the country. And it also says you went and won the Sunbelt Championship. And so for that reason and many others... New Orleans is top of the list as far as I'm concerned personally. There is a path, theoretically, for Georgia State to go to the New Orleans Bowl without winning the championship. And that's if Appalachian State goes to a accessible slot. Yeah, at that point, all bets are off because New Orleans Bowl can just talk to any of the Sunbelt teams that right. made a bowl. And then it, I guess rounding it out because we touched on the Cure, we touched on Arizona, we touched on the New Orleans Bowls. I'd be fine with the the Alabama Bulls. I think Montgomery's preferable because it's significantly closer. And I think mm-hmm. if it was the Camellia Bowl, I do think there'd be a pretty good turnout from Georgia State because that is the closest geographically of all of these bowls. Um, but really, the thing that is the big victory is winning the conference championship. And if you don't get that, it's a disappointment. But no matter where you go, getting that extra month of practice and possibly getting young guys another look at action without having to burn their red shirt you know like for every reason if you get to the bowl game there's a lot of good that can come from it and so it's a nice thing that it's still the month of october and you can talk about this with georgia state yeah i honestly did not think we would be 
here on this podcast at the end of October talking about bowl placements at the beginning of the year. But Dan said, don't be shocked. And here we are. Shocked, I guess. So I guess we didn't listen. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I welcome any more questions. I I hope that that was concise. I hope that that gave anyone who had bowl questions kind of a a general primer on where we're at with the Sunbelt and bowls. Um, Continue to ask questions about bowls. If you have any more. Yeah, it's allowed now. We won six games. It's fine. It's 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 allowed and it's a you know, it's a fun topic. Uh, So feel free to ask more. All right. Uh, So looking ahead uh, after this podcast goes live uh, Friday night, we have an exhibition game versus Point University at the sports arena. Taylor and I will be there. Taylor will be on the live tweeting and I'll be taking some pictures and video, maybe doing a little bit of reporting from that as well. Uh, Other than that, make sure you check out all of the new content we have on the website. We have the upon further review from the Troy game and this bye week, we might have some other fun stuff come up. uh, TBD basketball season, basketball season. Yep, that's right. Notes and quotes, thoughts from the exhibition previews are going to be. I don't know if we're going to do previews for every single basketball game, because honestly, that's a lot. And uh, including men and women, that would just be entirely too much writing to do in a week. But uh, we will be efforting as much coverage of the men and the women as we possibly can with regard to availability. So be on the lookout for all of that. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Thursday night. Yeah, we really do appreciate everyone who's listening and who sends questions in. And can't say enough how much this is something that we are doing for the larger Georgia state community. So seriously, any questions you want to ask, any suggestions you have, any types of pieces you're looking for, we will definitely take anything people have to offer on board. We appreciate everyone who supports us by liking on Twitter, retweeting stuff we do sharing. Um, We couldn't do this without all the support we have. Yeah. Thanks guys. All right. Well, that's going to do it for episode 26 of the Thursday Night Podcast. Again, thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next week.